Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. We have a really good show for you today, so please stick with us for the entire hour. And remember to visit us on Facebook, where you can comment and share, and subscribe to Animals Today on iTunes. Recently, an important announcement came from Sea Shepherd Conservation Society about their whale-protecting activities in the Pacific. I just had a very informative discussion with Captain Paul Watson, founder, president, and executive director of the society. We began with Paul responding to my question of how many whales he saved from Japanese whaling. I think we've saved about 6,500 whales. We've exposed their illegal activities of the world. That helped with the International Court of Justice making a ruling that their whaling operations were illegal. But last year, when we sent two ships down, we were unable to close in on them. We knew where they were, but we couldn't close in on them. And the reason being is that the Japanese government is subsidizing the uh, whaling fleet to the tune of $50 million a year and providing military technology and military personnel. And that technology is real-time surveillance. So they can see where we are at any moment. Uh, so we could never close the gap in on them. We simply can't compete with that kind of technology. So uh, it's a waste of uh, time and resources, and it costs a lot of money to go down there, to, to go down there knowing we're not going to be able to close in on them. So we have to find a new, a new approach. But at the same time, uh, I think that what we've accomplished over the last, uh, well, since 2005, has been significant and has placed Japan in a very difficult and embarrassing situation uh, because we've definitely proven that their activities are illegal. Okay, so it's difficult and embarrassing. What has to happen next? I'm hoping that uh, other governments uh, that are signatories to the International Whaling Commission uh, agreements will take action, uh, like Australia and New Zealand. And um, there's some talk that they may. But, uh, you know, Japan is an economic superpower and, in fact, an economic bully. So in many ways, they get what they want. Uh, I mean, they've actually even placed me on the Interpol red list for the ridiculous charge of conspiracy to board a whaling ship. And this is a list for serial killers, war criminals, and major drug traffickers. I'm the only person in history to be put on that for something like that. But that mm. indicates just what kind of power they have. I mean, that is being investigated by the European Parliament, uh, a European Parliamentary Committee and the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights. But that could take years. So, uh, you know, I think that we've done everything we could with the uh, resources we had to stop them. And right now, they've lo- the quota is down to 333. No humpbacks will be killed. No fin whales will be killed. So that's a significant change from when we, we first began. Now, there's whaling elsewhere. The, there's Norwegian whaling, Icelandic whaling, and Danish whaling. Do you want to give us a status on that? Yeah, we have an ongoing campaign against Faroese whaling, which is Denmark, and... Uh, also Norway and Iceland. Uh, Iceland actually looks like uh, they may be getting out of it soon. Uh, They took 17 whales this year. Um, You know, we've hit those countries harder than we've actually hit the Japanese in the past. I mean, we sank half of Iceland's whaling fleet in 1986 and shut them down for 17 years. And uh, with the Norwegians, we've had many run-ons of M74. They're both to the bottom. Uh, these are ongoing battles, but, uh, you know, we never, ever felt we were going to win these things overnight. Right. I mean, we've been doing this, like, for four decades now. But we're making uh, we're making progress, a little at a time, sometimes a lot, of, uh, a lot at one go. But, you know, I think uh, it's a long-term process. Can we uh, look at one of your other campaigns, and that is trying to protect the, the little porpoise, the vaquita? What's happening with that? It's such a tragic story. 
We're now going into our fourth year with Operation Malagro, and uh, we'll be sending two ships there at the beginning of November. We're working in partnership with the Mexican Navy, the Mexican government. There's less than 30 of the individuals of this species uh, in, in existence. And so what our role is is to go in and drag, trawl, and grab all these illegal you know, gill nets that they're using. Uh, we Last year, we took 450 of them from the ocean. We also fly drones at night to catch the, the poachers, and we turn them over to the, uh, to the Mexican Navy. So I, I'm pretty confident that if we haven't been there for the last three years, the vaquita would now be extinct. So we're doing all that we can um, and, and making an impact. A lot of people saying, I'll oh, just give up because, you know, the vaquita is not going to survive. But as long as one of them is alive, or two of them, hopefully, uh, we're going to continue to to do Operation Malagro. You know, we just can't give up on the species. And back to Japan, please. Uh, they're still slaughtering dolphins there yearly. They are, and uh, we can't go because they passed, uh, last, in June, they passed these uh, numerous anti-terrorism laws, and some of them were designed specifically against us. For instance, if more than two of us are in Taiji observing or documenting the killing of the dolphins, that will now be an act of terrorism. But the really the real problem is is that we can't get into Japan. Every everybody that we send to Japan is then barred from re-entry to Japan. Gee. After three years, we we simply ran out of leaders and and, and people to return. Uh, so, it, and and I don't want to send uh, inexperienced volunteers into a situation where they're going to be charged with uh, terrorism just for having a camera. But again, that's the kind of uh, country that we're dealing mm. with. They're backing up their illegal environmental crimes with uh, anti-terrorism laws, which are des- designed to stop anybody interfering with them. And to give you an example of their power, I was uh, scheduled to speak in early June at the United Nations. And the day I arrived in New York, they, uh, my, sp- my speech was canceled. I found out it was canceled because of pressure from the Nippon Foundation. And so what we have in the United Nations is the people who are causing the problems and committing the crimes are in a position to fund U.N. programs that are supposed to be stopping these crimes. So that's why no progress is being made. How many ships do you have now? We have 12 ships now, and they're all over the world. And, uh, you know, we're working with the African countries like Gabon and Liberia, Santomi and Tanzania to stop uh, uh, foreign poachers in their waters. And... uh, we, we Right now, we have 15 Chinese vessels under arrest, and we're, we're guarding them in East Timor that we caught uh, a week ago. Uh, in uh, August, we uh, were helped in the uh, arrest of a Chinese vessel in the Galapagos with 6,900 sharks on board. And the Ecuadorian government acted pretty fast on that. Uh, the captain got four years, the officers two, and the crew one, plus uh, the confiscation of the ship and $6 million fine. And that's the kind of thing that we need for more from more countries. Uh, we're also doing campaigns to protect turtles on the island of Mayotte between Madagascar and uh, Mozambique. Uh, we're recovering ghost nets in the uh, Mediterranean, uh, and that makes us, you know, it causes us a significant number of uh, fatalities every year from marine life. And, uh, oh God, we're going another vessel in, uh, in the Baltic protecting porpoises there. The um, John Paul de Joria right now actually is on route to uh, Dominica with uh, a couple of tons of dog and cat food, and that's going to uh, you know to to those islands as a part of the relief thing. And we'll be spending the next month just doing a, uh, relief runs for Dominica, Antigua, and uh, San Martin and Barbuda. 
So it should be evident to anyone listening who is thinking about whale wars as the scope of your activity, that that certainly is just scratching the surface of your worldwide reach. It was, and because it's on television, of course, most people think that's all we do. So back to North America then, I just checked out the website, and there are about 20 chapters around the around North America. What do they do? Well, they're uh, education, fundraising, uh, and beach cleanups if they're on the shores and everything. Now, beach cleanups worldwide are a, a major campaign of ours. We, we pull about a quite a few uh, thousand tons every year off the beaches. And, uh, you know, that's happening in South Africa and Australia, throughout Europe, throughout Asia. What Sea Shepherd is is not an organization. We're actually an international movement, and all of those national entities are separate. Uh, and But we all work together under the umbrella of Sea Shepherd Global. Does the general public understand the impact of plastic in the seas? And how bad is that problem, really? Uh, plastic breaks down into microplastics, and that's ingested by plankton, by fish, uh, and is a major, major problem. I mean, by 2030, there'll probably be more plastic in the ocean than there are there are fish. Uh, it kills seabirds, it kills marine mammals, it kills turtles. Uh, you know, a white, uh, for instance, a white or even a transparent um, supermarket bag underwater looks to a sea turtle like a, a jellyfish. And uh, they swallow it, and of course it uh, gets stuck in their intestines, and they and they die. Uh, microplastics. Uh, almost anybody who eats fish today, by the way, has microplastics in their body because mm. almost every fish has it in their body. And uh, these are microscopic particles of plastic, and uh, that is where the real problem lies. And what products are they in? Everything from the point of uh, you know cosmetics that have uh, micro beads in them, which go down the toilets and everything, and sinks and end up into the into the system. But you know you just throw a plastic bottle under the with salt water in the sun that breaks down, it gets brittle and it breaks down into tiny pieces. Uh, for instance, a major problem is in Midway Island where the albatross, uh, thousands by the way of albatrosses die every year yeah. because uh, of the plastic in their in their guts. They can't get it out. There are numerous ways for individuals to support the society, the movement. Uh, where do they start? Uh, you can look us up on, uh, you know, steeshepherd.org or on Facebook. Uh, I think we've got a couple of hundred Facebook pages, actually. But, um, you know, that's probably, the social networks are probably the easiest way to get in touch with us. Captain Paul Watson of Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, thank you very much for joining us on Animals Today. Thank you. Did you know that more than half of the animals that enter our country's shelters are euthanized every year? This amounts to millions of loving, adoptable dogs and cats being killed due to our nation's pet overpopulation problem. Too many dogs and cats are permitted to have litters, but there's just not enough homes to take them all in. We strongly encourage people to adopt pets from a shelter instead of buying from a breeder or a pet store. When you adopt from a shelter, more than likely you are saving a life. Please tell your friends and family about the pet overpopulation problem and encourage them to adopt from a shelter and save a life. And together we can stop this terrible ongoing tragedy and senseless killing of millions of loving dogs and cats. So spread the word. Adopt, don't buy. And remember, always have your pets fixed. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. You're listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of the show. Well, I'm proud to say we are now in our ninth year of weekly broadcasts, bringing you timely and critical animal news from all corners of the earth. 
Join us each week as we explore animal welfare and animal rights issues, as well as fun pet topics with fascinating guests and experts. And if you don't catch the show live on your local radio station, you can listen two other ways by going to the Animals Today website, www.animalstodayradio.com, or as a podcast on iTunes. It is so easy to subscribe on iTunes. And when you do, each week, usually on Sunday, a fresh show will download right onto your device. Pretty cool. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, and thanks for listening. I'm now pleased to welcome Christina Skuringe, who's with ADI Animal Defenders International, where she's general counsel. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, we have a big cat story, this one concerning the former Ringling Brothers tigers. Christina, what's happened to those tigers, and who's Alexander Lacey? Well, Alexander Lacey is one of the Ringling exhibitors whose family performed for many years in the UK and in Europe, and then he brought his tigers to perform with Ringling over the last several years. And when Ringling announced its closure, Alex Lacey applied to the U.S. government to uh, re-export his big cats to join his brother in Germany. And what it really illustrates is, is the need for federal legislation to prevent these circuses just jumping jurisdictions and moving from place to place to continue these cruel acts. How many tigers so, are we talking about? Well, right now he has about 15. He applied uh, for just the tigers uh, because they were the endangered species to be exported. And all that required was some showing that he uh, would enhance, that the export would enhance the propagation or survival of the species, which is interesting. Um, He was able to do so under the current under the current um, standards right now, despite extensive um, opposition, including ADI's opposition. So he has now tigers and lions uh, and a leopard, and he's showing them in France. Um, And ADI took some film and um, circulated that film in that investigation, showing that this, unfortunately for these cats, the cruelty continues. Uh, One cat didn't quite make it. A tiger named Susie um, was in being transported to Tennessee for that flight out of the United States and escaped unbeknownst to the Ringling organization or Lacey, ended up in a residential area and apparently was attacking a pet dog and so was shot. So Susie didn't make it, um, but unfortunately the remainder of the tigers and, and other big cats were exported to to Germany and are actually performing in France at the moment. Um, when they did catch up, when the Atlanta police did catch up with Lacey and Ringling to track down the owner of this ramp, uh, you know, ex- escaped tiger, they discovered them in Arkansas. In Arkansas, authorities were surprised to find them there. Uh, there had been no notification to those authorities that the cats would be staying there temporarily. So again, it's it's. Um, it's demonstrative of the issue where these animals are crossing jurisdictional boundaries with very little oversight. And Can you imagine the poor person waking up at night to see a tiger in their backyard with their dog as the tiger roams this residential neighborhood? So the accountability is important. It, it, it's clearly a cruel situation for these big cats, but it's also a severe public safety issue. Does it matter who owned the cats originally? I are you saying they were not owned by Ringling, but really owned by Lacey? 
Well, that's pretty common with a lot of the smaller circuses, especially, but also some of the ringling acts are hired out. And, and it does matter because under our current legal structure, the entity responsible for when those animals escape or if a problem occurs or for cruelty um, citations rests with the owner. And what you'll find sometimes is some of the circuses who lease the animals will point the finger to the owner and say, it wasn't my animal, whereas the owner might point to the exhibitor and say, yes, it's my animal, but they were exhibiting it, not me. So when there's this leasing of animal acts, there is an extra layer of regulatory burden to try uh, that makes it more difficult to enforce any sort of oversight. But yes, these particular cats belong to the Lacey family that um, that has a notorious history in the UK. ADI's investigation going back decades on the Lacey family between Lacey and his father um, exposed um, some pretty difficult scenes, including Alexander Lacey himself hiding a lioness from inspectors, an injured lioness from inspectors. We have film, unfortunately, of the Lacey family um, hitting tigers with whips and sticks and elephants abused, punched and hit, and animals staying on their um, transporters throughout the winter. So there's a long, long history of the Lacey family when it comes to circus acts. However, it's re- it's really important for us to make clear that that um, even under the best circumstances, however that might be defined, that these wild animals just simply don't belong in these tra- traveling acts, that, that the inherent nature of putting them on the back of a truck and constantly traveling is so foreign to these animals that it results in chronic stress, which is horrible for the animals and dangerous for the humans around them. What's happening in the country of France? Is there any indication of interest in curtailing the exploitation of exotic animals and big cats? So France has not yet passed a ban, and neither has the U.S., um, but there are 39 countries that have banned, um, in most cases, all wild animals from circus acts, and in a few cases, all animals from circus acts. We are seeing a movement uh, here in the U.S. More than two-thirds of Americans are troubled um, responded to a Gallup survey that they were troubled by the use of animals in circus acts. So we are seeing an an increasing concern um, as people become more aware of what wild animals need or don't need um, and become more educated about what's appropriate. They're rejecting these acts um, where it's becoming more and more obvious to the average uh, patron that, a, a, you know, a tiger doesn't belong jumping through a, a fire hoop. A, a bear isn't supposed to dance with a tutu. So there is progress being made. Um, again, we don't have a ban yet in France, but there is progress. I think here in the U.S. we're over 75 uh, local jurisdictions passed at this time, some sort of restriction. And we have a bill in the U.S. Congress called the TEPSPA bill, the Traveling Exotic Animal and Public Safety Protection Act. It's a mouthful but TEEPSPA for short. Uh, the number is HR 1759, and it's got bipartisan support. It was introduced by uh, Republican Representative uh, Ryan Costello out of Pennsylvania and Democratic Representative Raul Grijalva out of Arizona. It's getting bi- um, bipartisan support um, 
and its co-sponsorship, and it's currently with the Agriculture Committee. So we would reach out to anyone out there that if they want to see these acts end here in the U.S., that to call their uh, federal representatives and request that they support TIPSPA. And, of course, people can go to the website, right? Well, we would love that. It's ad-international.org, ad-international.org, and we would love to folks visit. They can see some of the work we do, not just for circuses, but in conservation and animal testing. And we also have on that website our background story and investigation on Alexander Lacey and the movement of these animals to France. Thanks very much, Christina. Good work. Thank you for having me. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and today's Animals Today Minute is about helping rabbits. You can help rabbits in your everyday life by choosing the household products and cosmetics you buy carefully. Look for the leaping bunny sign and only buy cruelty-free items. Soaps and detergents are especially critical, and if the package does not specifically state the product was not tested on animals, you can assume it was. At shelters which have bunnies, You can become a bunny adoption counselor, learn how to trim nails, and become expert in a host of other helpful activities specific to rabbits. And this was your Animals Today Minute. Welcome back to the show. I now want to welcome animal activist Ronnie Lee. He's probably best known as the founder of Animal Liberation Front, also known as ALF. ALF is certainly one of the most controversial animal activist groups ever because it employed illegal direct action like confiscating lab animals and destroying property to further its mission. A biography has just been published about him titled The Animal's Freedom Fighter. And today we're speaking with him from the UK. Welcome to the program, Ronnie. Hi, I'm I'm pleased to be on here. Ronnie, you're not the author of this book, but I presume you have authorized it and approve of its content. Is that correct? Oh, yes. And when John uh, Hochschartner offered to write my biography, I was was, was very pleased to take him up on it. And I um, cooperated with him in the writing of the book. Ronnie, so why is this a good time to put out this biography? And what do you hope readers will get out of it? Well, I think it's been uh, people have been nagging me for years to to do the story of my life, or at least get, get somebody else to write it. So I think it, the, the time for the book has has, has has been going on for quite some while. I, I'm hoping that it will do two things. First of all, I'm hoping that if non-vegans uh, read the book, uh, they'll become vegan. Uh, and I'm hoping if uh, vegans read the book, they'll become vegan activists. It's very much. I don't want people to treat the book as just something that makes them a spectator. I, I want the book to encourage people to to do something, right? To to, to to be active in one way or another. Fantastic, Ronnie. You have dedicated your life to the cause of animal rights. What motivates you? 
really, it's anger. It's it's anger at the injustice uh, caused to animals. It's, it's yeah. anger yeah. at the, the persecution of, of the weak by the strong. That's that's what drives me. I, I try not to let that anger take take me over or control me, but I use it as a fuel to to drive me. And every day when I get up in the morning, that's what's driving me on to you know to work uh, every day for for veganism and for animal liberation. In the Animal Liberation Front and with the Hunt Saboteurs Association and Band of Mercy beforehand, you and your associates proudly engaged not only in trespassing and rescuing laboratory animals, but in causing significant property destruction, which this book refers to as economic sabotage. How did you morally justify breaking the law in these instances? Well, I think it's um, what we've got to remember is is, is 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 the law is something that's been set up by humans, and 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 these laws are there to protect property, and sometimes the property that those laws seek to protect is property that's used for for evil purposes, is used to to cause um, suffering and slaughter and, and torture to animals. So, so we felt it was justifiable to to damage that property in order to prevent the slaughter and suffering of animals. Can you briefly summarise what these acts accomplished? Well, basically, in, in, certainly in the UK, the two, the, the two main achievements of the Animal Liberation Front was, first of all, um, a very large reduction in the number of animal experiments that, uh, that took place every year. When, when, the, when the Animal Liberation Front started off, and of course, it, it, in the early days, it wasn't called the Animal Liberation Front, it was called the Band of Mercy, and then the, the, the name changed a few years later. The actions, the, the, the actions by, by the Animal Liberation Front against um, what we prefer to as a vivisection industry actually succeeded in reducing the number of animal experiments every year in 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 the UK from six million a year uh, down to uh, below three million, and this, that was during the course of the ALF's campaign, which took the it took took place over several years, that, that reduction in, in animal experiments took place. And the, the, the other big achievement of the ADF was with the, with, the, with the fur trade, the fur industry. At one time in the UK, every town had, had a fur shop, even, even small towns. And mm. in, in larger cities, there were several um, fur shops that are often in, in, in many suburbs of, of the cities. And also the big, um, the big stores were called big department stores. Many of them had had uh, fur departments, and ALF uh, action uh, against the fur trade caused caused a huge re- re- reduction in this. So that, that today, uh, only one department store in the UK actually sells fur coats, and there are only a small number of of the smaller stores, the dedicated um, fur stores, fur shops we call them, um, and they are only in London. So there's been a massive reduction in, 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 in the fur trade in the UK, and uh, that really was largely a result of ALF activity. Hmm. Are you aware of any instances of physical harm to another person caused by your actions? Not by Animal Liberation Front. There were there were other groups that um, see. Basically, the ALF policy was of uh, was one of not doing physical harm 
to to other people. That you know that's that's ALF policy. But there were there were other groups that uh, didn't want to abide by that policy, and so they set up you know they set people set up their own groups. And there were one or two instances, I think, where there was you know some injury to animal abusers caused by by these groups. But that was only minor. I mean that that was only no nobody's ever been killed or seriously injured. And you have to really compare that to the huge death and injury that's caused to animals by the animal abusers. Don't you think that when you vandalize and destroy someone else's property that it can cause psychological harm and terror to the people who work there or the owners? It'll upset them. You know, people obviously don't want their property to be damaged, but you have to compare that. I mean, these people are causing horrendous suffering to animals, horrendous slaughter and suffering to animals. And so um, and, and so, if, if, if damage caused their property causes them some harm that can't be compared to what they do to the animals. Another thing is, is, is for instance, if, if, some, if, if, if somebody commits horrific crimes and they are that person's put in prison, say, you could say, oh, well, you know, that putting that person in prison is, is causing them um, psychological harm. But people would think that was justified in the case of somebody that committed horrific crimes because that would be weighed up against the crimes that that person committed. And it would it would be regarded as more important to do something to that person to prevent those crimes. And it's a very similar situation that, that the, any, any kind of psychological harm caused to, to any of these people, very small when compared to the harm that they were causing to the animals. Ronnie, looking back, do you have any regrets about breaking the law and all the consequences you may not even know about? The thing is that the, the, the ALF um, has saved um, tens of thousands of animals um, from slaughter and suffering. You know, just the, the, um, those two instances I mentioned earlier of the animal experimentation and, and the fur trade in, in, in the UK where there's been a huge reduction in those industries. Um, that's millions of animals that have been spared from slaughter and suffering. And so um, if it weren't for the ALF, that probably wouldn't have happened. I mean, in these days, I think that, the, you know, my, my view now is that the most important way of preventing the suffering and slaughter of animals is to promote veganism. Right. I think that's right. I think that's better than the ALF because I right. think that... You know that results in in greater achievements. You know that that's, that spares more animals um, from slaughter and spares more animals from suffering. So um, that's that's what I do now, and I think that, I think that's more important than the ALF. But nevertheless, what the ALF achieved um, can't be ignored. In your mind, the ends justify the means, right? I don't think the ends justify the means in all circumstances. I think if uh, I, I think it's wrong to cause harm to the innocent in order to um, achieve an end. Um, for instance, let's, let's take an example: like the bombing of Hiroshima, for instance, or you know the bombing of Dresden during the war by the you know, by the Allies, where millions of innocent people you know were killed altogether, or certainly hundreds of thousands. Though the, you know the ends weren't justified, um, the, the, the means didn't justify um, the ends. In, in those circumstances, um, or the means weren't justified to achieve those ends in those circumstances. 
But I think um, in, the ca- in the case of the ALF, where you're talking about really property damage um, being used to save animals from suffering slaughter, yeah, I, I, I do think that was justified. Mm-hmm. Most people in civilized society try to affect change peacefully and nonviolently, but you did not act that way. So some may just look at you as a, a criminal or a psychopath or antisocial or whatever. And Ronnie, you seem like a nice guy. Are you are you a nice, normal guy? Well, I, well, I like to think so. I, I wouldn't say I was normal. I wouldn't want to be normal it's it's not a normal thing for people to do what i've done and most people wouldn't do it now i don't want to be like most people and just live a a life that doesn't really achieve anything and then die at the end of it without any you know without being able to say that i made the world a better place now i don't want to be normal i want to be a person that kind of achieves things and creates a better world so i don't want to be normal i like to think of myself as a nice guy obviously people that use animals aren't going to think of me as a nice guy and i I probably wouldn't want them to because if they did that might mean that that would probably mean i wasn't achieving what i want to achieve in in terms of putting them out of business but you see i think when we talk about for instance you know there are people that refer to the alf as terrorists well would those people um call the french resistance terrorists you see the nazis called the french resistance terrorists um, but obviously they weren't terrorists, they were freedom fighters. The same with Nelson Mandela, for instance. He was called a terrorist. And then, you know, 20 years later, all the world leaders were queuing up to shake his hand. So it's very much a question of, of a person's standpoint as to whether they regard others as terrorists or freedom fighters. And I think anyone that probably cares about animals would regard the ALF as freedom fighters rather than terrorists. Don't go away. More with Ronnie Lee right after the break. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Ronnie Lee, founder of Animal Liberation Front. A biography has just been published about his life titled The Animal's Freedom Fighter. Ronnie, now you are into vegan education and promoting the Green Party. Why did you adopt these causes and methods? 
I think with regard to vegan education, it's, vegan education is, is really the, the big thing that I'm into. Well, it's really through analysis of, of the situation. I mean, I want animal liberation. I want animals to be freed from human tyranny. You know, other animals to no longer be exploited and persecuted and slaughtered and abused by humans. Agreed. And so therefore it's important, I felt it's important to consider why this happens. Why is it that this, this, this massive, horrific tyranny over other animals occurred? And I came to the conclusion that it was because of speciesism, because of fundamentally because of human supremacism, which is the attitude which I consider to be immoral and irrational, um, that humans are, are somehow more important than other sentient animals. You see, so, so I think it, it, that has to be challenged at the root. If we're ever going to create widespread change, we have to challenge that. Uh, and I feel the best way of challenging that is to educate people to be vegan. And, and by vegan, I don't just mean the diet. I mean, diet's plant-based diet is a big part of it but it's also changing attitudes to animals so so people realise that it's wrong to to want to persecute and abuse or even use other animals you know for their own purposes and and so so therefore if we want fundamental change we want widespread animal liberation that vegan education is is fundamentally and massively important to that it it, it really is so the thing with the, the ALF see the ALF didn't challenge at people's attitudes. Mm-hmm. The, the ALF, you know, saved loads of animals, you know, prevented suffering slaughter of, of a huge number of animals, but it didn't fundamentally change the mindsets of ordinary people. And we have to do that. We have to do that with a large number of people in order to obtain uh, animal liberation. That's why, for me, vegan education is so important. And the kind of political side, through, uh, through, through my support for the Green Party and my involvement in politics, which is nowhere near as great as my involvement in vegan education. The reason why I think that's important is I, I think we can't be so naive as, as to believe that we can educate everyone to go vegan. So therefore the question arises, what what do we do about the people that we can't educate? Are they going to be allowed to carry on abusing, persecuting, killing animals? Uh, I think the answer to that has to be no. So how do we stop them? And I think the best way to do that is through legislation, is is through through having administrations that will will pass legislation to properly properly protect animals. And so so these are the two, you know, the kind of two prongs of the the kind of move forward for animal liberation really is is on one hand it's 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 education on and on the other hand is political action and i think those th- those two things are, are, are i think much more relevant than direct action because with direct action you, you really realistically only ever going to get a relatively small number of people involved in it so it's never going to be a major driving force for animal liberation in my opinion I, too, believe education is just absolutely key. Ronnie Lee, what message would you like to share with young people who care about animals? If there are people who are uh, listening to this show, and I imagine that everyone <laughs> listens to this show cares about animals, so I'd like to think so, and that's the reason they're listening. Uh, and I'd say, first of all, if, you know, speaking to those people personally, I'd say, if you're not vegan become vegan that that's that's so important so that so many animals will be spared from suffering and slaughter if you just become vegan 
And the second thing I'd say to um, any vegans who, who are listening to this program, who are not vegan activists, who don't actively get out amongst the public and spread the vegan message, I'd say to them, it's really important to do that because if you become vegan in the UK, um, for every person who becomes vegan, it can be said that over 100 animals a year are spared from suffering and slaughter. For the UK as a whole, there are 8, 8 billion animals are slaughtered every year to feed the UK population, and, and that's going to be massive, massively more than that for the USA, obviously. And indeed, worldwide, uh, I think about 50,000 animals every second are slaughtered for food. And, and I think it's really important to uh, to get involved in outreach in whatever way we can. I mean, that can be very simple. I mean, it can be distributing leaflets, setting up an information store. These, these things are, re- are really simple to do. Uh, they're not against the law. They don't. They involve no risk, <laughs> and they're absolutely. And yet, they can they can make so much difference. Really, they can create a, a, a revolution if enough people do it, and I, we can change enough people. I agree, Ronnie. I know it's late where you are, and I so appreciate you speaking with us and and coming on the show. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be on here. Thank you. So, how about you? Would you break the law and destroy someone else's personal property to save the life of an animal? And if so, how far would you go? You know, California recently passed a bill that would allow people to break into a hot car to save an animal, which is great news. And you can catch my interview on August 5th, 2017, with California Assemblyman Mark Steinorth, who introduced this bill designed to protect citizens from civil litigation as well as criminal charges if they damage a vehicle while attempting to rescue an animal at risk in a hot car. But before this became legal in our state... I personally would not hesitate for a second to break into a hot car to save the life of an animal in distress. You know, during the summer here in our Southern California desert, temperatures can rise to 120 degrees or more. And, you know, it's just incredible to me knowing there are many ignorant individuals out there who think it's okay to leave your animal in the car on a hot day, even if you're parked in the shade or the windows are cracked. It's a bad idea. Even if it's 80 or 90 degrees outside, the temperature inside the car can rise high enough to hurt or kill your animal. Anyway, before it became legal, I wouldn't hesitate breaking into a hot car to save an animal's life. Since in most cases, you don't have time to try to find the owner of the car. You don't have time to call animal control. You literally only have minutes to save a life. So yes, given what I believe to be the morally right thing to do, I absolutely would break the law or destroy property to save an animal's life. Now, granted, the situation is a little different than the kind of illegal activities that Ronnie Lee's group did. For one, it's illegal in the first place to leave your dog or animal unattended in the car where I live. So breaking the law and destroying the property of an idiot who is torturing and abusing his animal by leaving him in the hot car and also Doing something illegal in the first place is quite different than destroying the property of someone who is legally torturing and mutilating an animal. But you get my point. So how far would you go? Where and how do you draw the line? Okay. 
Thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at animalstodayradio.com. Animalstodayradio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's animalstodayradio.com. Thanks for listening.